0: Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. We're going to continue to dig into this series on becoming an Antioch church, and if you're just joining with us this morning, we're in the midst of a series. Uh, In the book of Acts, there's a church that comes on the radar, comes on the scene, in Acts chapter 11, and there's this awakening that happens in this church. Antioch is in present-day Turkey, and it is now called Antakya. And um, this church, back in the first century, experienced a move of God in such a way that the epicenter of Christianity shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. And part of what we're looking at is the grace that was on that church. The Bible says that there was the evidence of the grace of God, and the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was with that local church family. And so our our prayer is, God, if you've done that before, we believe that you play no favorites. And our prayer is, God, the grace that was on them then and there, we're asking you to release it on us here and now. How many say amen to that? We're believing God to help us be a church that would move in the power of the Spirit. And so we recognize that this local church uh, in Antioch was obedient to the Great Commission, purely obedient up until... The church in Antioch, the church that was based in Jerusalem and headquartered in Jerusalem was focused solely and intentionally only on the Jewish people, only on people that looked like them, sounded like them, grew up like them but Jesus called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of all nations and so the church uh, in Antioch, began to take that seriously, and again, the hand of the Lord was on them. There was evidence of God's grace in that congregation. It became a greenhouse. That's a word picture that we've been using in the last few weeks. It became a greenhouse for fivefold ministry development. That is, the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher was was being fostered and grown in that local church context. And that made the church strong. It wasn't just, wow, they've got some big hitters on staff. But according to Ephesians 4, as we've been digging into the last few weeks, the purpose of the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher isn't to do the ministry for everybody, but it's to equip everybody for the ministry. Amen. That we're, we're, we're called to be equipped for the ministry. So I just want to remind you, you have a mission. You live on a mission field. You have relationships and you have influence that no one else in this local church family has. And so the, the gifts that God, Jesus gives to the church, those five persons, those gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, the fivefold gifts are given to equip you for the work of the ministry. So our view of ministry, I think, needs to be reenvisioned. Amen, I'm gonna preach to myself. The, the, the view of ministry needs to be re-envisioned. That we all live with an intentional and prayerful focus in all we do and say, not just on Sundays. We gather here to be equipped, and to be fed, and to be stirred up and renewed. And then we're sent back into our lives and our responsibilities with a sense of calling and empowerment. That we're not just there to blend in, we're there to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so the Antioch church was building big people. Big people. They were building big people with global ministry, and they experienced incredible results. The effectiveness of the Antioch church is almost impossible to calculate and measure. But I would suggest to you that we sit here as a result of what God was doing in that local church. The mission that spread from there became the headquarters for everything that you read From that point on in the book of Acts, everything that you know of the Apostle Paul, thank God for the book of Acts, we wouldn't know who wrote the other letters, right? We get introduced to the Apostle Paul, and he's introduced to us in Acts chapter 9, his salvation experience, and then uh, the church didn't know what to do with him. They they couldn't quite believe him. They, They thought, you know, he was a terrorist, and they didn't believe that he'd really changed, and Barnabas tried, but the church just said, well, it's nice to have you go back to Tarsus. And so when Barnabas was sent by the elders of Jerusalem to check out what was happening in Antioch, when he saw the evidence of God's grace, he thought to himself, I need to get Saul of Tarsus in on this because there's a seed of something in him that needs to be cultivated and grown in this atmosphere. And Saul of Tarsus grew to become Paul the Apostle, and he was sent from Antioch into all three missionary journeys that the Bible records for us in the remainders of, remaining chapters of the book of Acts. And so there were ministries that were born and nurtured, embraced and released in a powerful greenhouse local church called Antioch. And this church operated, like we talked about last week, as a prophetic and a literal storehouse. Meaning they funded the mission that God had called the Apostle Paul to. In preaching the good news and planting churches, they funded that and prayerfully undergirded that m- mission. Listen to me. Without that prophetic and practical storehouse, Paul could not have done all the things that God had called him to do. And so there was, there was a, a community that was in faith and sending practically and spiritually with their prayers and with their with their giving that the global reach of that local church was expanded. And so I want you to take your Bibles and go with me this morning to... Acts chapter thirteen, and we're just gonna we're just gonna skip ahead a couple of chapters. There's a little interlude in there that really kind of marks a transition in kind of uh, you know if you're reading the book of Acts like a story, that the main protagonist begins to change. We move from a focus on the apostle Peter in in, in chapter twelve. There's some tragedy that uh, is a result of persecution that the church was experiencing and Peter is miraculously delivered and, um, and, 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 and yet John was not and so there's this tragedy and, and Peter goes on to his ministry and now we, we pick up in Acts chapter 13, we're in Antioch again and I want us to look at the first three verses because I, I believe that we could gain some insight into the practices of this local church. With all of their effectiveness, the question is this, is it possible to discern any method or practice that facilitated such a global reach in that local church? I think that's a worthy question. And so I want us to take a look, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. If you're there, I'm going to start reading. It says this, In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So again, we see here in this church there are gifts of Christ. There are prophets and teachers that are serving that church. It's serving the church so that they could know the word and they could know the mind of the Lord in a blended gift, the prophet and the teacher, cooperating, again, evidence of these fivefold gifts serving the church. Verse 2, we just read it. I think verse 2 holds a key for us which I believe could unlock a next level of purpose over this local church family here at Lake Mount. And so I want us to go back and look at the opening words of verse 2. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Let's just stop there. This local church that took the Great Commission seriously, that reached beyond cultural boundaries and, and invisible prejudice, This local church that began to become a greenhouse for ministries and seeing people launched into ministry and reaching the world for Jesus had a priority. This church ministered to the Lord. Before they got a word, before they got a direction, before they launched into ministry, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. If you got your Bible out, you should maybe circle that phrase. If it's on your phone, you should highlight that phrase. As they ministered, to the Lord. Minister, when we talk about ministering to someone, the word minister carries the connotation of meeting needs. It's mostly how we use that word. And so when we talk about ministering to the Lord, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, is our ministry to the Lord. When we think of meeting needs and we think of ministering to the Lord, we hit a dead end in our thoughts. We can't connect the two points because God needs nothing. So how could I possibly minister to the Lord? How can I minister to the Lord who has everything? Hey, God, I'm here for you. Let me me just encourage you today. You're doing a great job being God. You're you're hearing prayers, and I heard some good testimonies, and I just want to keep going, God. We can lose the, the insight if we skip over, but if we'll take time and pause and lean in, there's something for us. God... Needs nothing. How many know that's the truth? God needs nothing. So there's no need in him that we could ever possibly meet. However, God does have desires. He desires to have relationship with us that is not merely a professional relationship, He desires to have a relationship with us that is rooted in actual friendship with God. We can see this all through Scripture. That God at the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the cool of each day just to commune with them and have fellowship with them. We can see throughout the narrative of Scripture that different ones that God began to work in, as they began to partner with him, a friendship emerged. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses, the Bible says, spoke with God face to face the way that a man speaks with his friend. David was a man after God's own heart. And in all of his responsibility as a warrior and as a king and and as a musician, as a prophet, as a poet, in all of that, he was first and foremost a man after God's own heart. There was friendship, there was intimacy that drove and defined the relationship from that point on. David said this in Psalm 27. He said, there's one thing that I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's what David said was the one thing on his list. It's as though an interviewer came to him and said, "David, if there was one thing you could ask of God, what would it be?" And he was like, "I've already thought of it. I know what my answer is. There's one thing I desire of the Lord. It's not wealth, it's not fame, it's not wisdom, it's not influence, it's not a powerful ministry." It's not gifts that will help me do better in all of the areas of responsibility in my life. There's one thing that I desire of the Lord, and this is what I've set my life in pursuit of. I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And while we can theoretically sit there and go, that's really cool, we have to stop and say, do I know what that means? Because if we're honest in our North American rapid fire pace, we can think of somebody who just wants to gaze upon the beauty as the Lord is like, well, okay, and then what? Like, like, do something practical with your spiritual pursuit, David. Do something meaningful on behalf of others. Isn't it interesting how there's often a contest with a priority for God and a priority for ministry? Remember the, remember the lady who showed up to worship Jesus? She spent a year's salary on some perfume. She poured it on him. And everybody had something to say. She didn't even ask. She didn't come in and be like, What do you guys think? I was thinking of doing this. She just she did it because it was her money. It was her offering. It was her sacrifice. And what did people say? What a waste. What a waste to take a year's worth of salary and buy perfume and then just dump it on Jesus. We could have fed. Poor people. We could have bought them clothes. We could have done some really significant ministry. What a waste to be so worshipful that you would just blow your money and waste it on Jesus. And so David says, there's one thing that I desire of the Lord. There's this one thing I've set my life in the pursuit of. I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And you're like, David, and then what? David said, that's it. What's on your list? David said he had one thing. There's one thing that I desire of the Lord. So I think if if we can be honest, there's a recognition, at least for me, that I need the Lord to tune my heart more closely to a priority of heaven. Because these ones who got close to him were never happy. They were never satisfied. I shouldn't say they weren't happy. They weren't satisfied. Seems like the ones who got closer to God just wanted more. Like they wanted to be even closer. And what God revealed, they wanted to know even more. And it wasn't so they could turn around and turn it into stunning ministry. It was just for the beauty of knowing him. I don't know about you, but I know I need that. I need the Lord to arrest me in my busyness, to keep me in my purpose. Which is to know him deeply, personally, experientially. This church, Antioch, embraced a God-focus, which sounds really simple, but it means something. Can I just spell it out a little more practically? It means that they weren't outreach-focused. Like, it means that when they were crafting a worship service, they weren't thinking, what would it be like for somebody who showed up as a visitor and has never been here before? How could we make this the least weird experience possible? How could we make this so like everywhere else they've ever been that we just scrub the presence of God out of it so that they just feel as comfortable as if they're at Starbucks? They were like, we don't want you to feel like you're at Starbucks. We want you to feel like you came into the presence of God. But we're not really thinking about you. We're thinking about him. We're focused on him. Like, I remember when I first started going to Starbucks, I don't mean to brag, but I've been there a couple of times. (laughs) Maybe you, like me, made the same mistake where I went in and I was like, could I have a medium double-double? And they're like, what? We We have language here. What language is it? There's debates, Google it. Nobody knows what language they're using for the size of their drinks. It's just like, what sounds good? I'll have a grande. Is that the biggest one? No, that's the middle one. Really? It's a name like grande? So you can't walk in there and say you want a medium. They'll correct you and say, no, no, you get a grande. If you want a big one, you get a venti. seems to me that Starbucks wasn't concerned with me walking in not knowing the code language. It was like, when you come here, you learn how to order the way we want you to order it. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a church that just said, we have language and stuff that you'll have to adjust to. Right. Right. Yep. We don't call it mediums here. Yep. We're not in a hurry when we come here. Right. You know, your kids are hungry. Bring some snacks, bring some goldfish in a little Ziploc bag. I, I know the parking lot gets full, and I know that, that you know we there's maybe we could just couldn't we just time it and get in in 47 minutes? But there's this sense, no, there's a priority around him, and so we we take our time with him, and we don't presume to order him around. They they, they weren't focused on outreach, they weren't focused on in reach. Is that a thing? Like they weren't focused on the inside stuff. Are you happy? Do you do you do you have what would you would you like a side of fries? And a Coke Zero. Is everyone good? (laughs) They weren't focused on people at all, actually. Their focus was on God. What a thought to be a church that, like, was just focused on God. They ministered to Him. Couldn't meet a need, but they could meet a desire. And so they came with that focus to minister to Him. Here's what i've discovered if we only minister to others we can develop a professional relationship with god where where the only purpose of my praying is to get a need met and the only purpose of my conversation with god is my list it's interesting that in the new testament there's this correlation of understanding where the apostle paul talks about our relationship as a church with Jesus and he likens it to Christ in the church is like a husband and wife in a marriage. I don't know if you've discovered this, but if you only come to your wife with a list, it doesn't work out that great. The relationship isn't strengthened by constant barrage of lists and requests and preferences, and wants and needs. But a relationship is fostered and it's not an unrealistic correlation because scripture tells us that we should look at our relationship with Jesus the way that a husband and wife work is that if it doesn't work in a marriage it's not going to work with God that we're going to have to actually cultivate some relationship that is outside of the tasks that we need to do. Every young family knows what it's like. Every young married couple knows what it's like when you've got little kids and it's been a long time since you ate a hot meal and slept all night. And you you know what it's like to just be in the whirlwind and the chaos of feeding kids and cleaning up after kids and, and getting you know them to here and there and doing and then just you know passing out at the end of the day and starting all over again the next day, and you know what it's like to finally hit the brakes when you can finally you know get them on the bottle for just you know three hours so you could go on a date and sit across the table and be like, "Hi, I remember you." Because if we only get caught in doing tasks together, though we're together in the task, we could be separate in our heart. And so this ministry to the Lord is, is not putting ministry to others first. If we minister to others without first ministering to the Lord, we can become spiritually dry and depleted. But healthy ministry flows out of a healthy minister. And the flow is established by relationship with the Lord that is first and foremost for the sake of the relationship, not for the sake of what needs to get done on the other side of intimacy with God. What I'm saying is that we are called to Him and then we're sent to the world. If we see ourselves as called to the world, How are we even sent? That's what the Apostle Paul said. How can they go unless they're sent? There has to be a basis. There has to be a sending point. Yes, the local church. And Paul was speaking of Antioch, of his own sending. But first and foremost, a company of people that understand that we're called to him. And it's the more that we know him and the more that we see him that we become, by virtue of that relationship, empowered by him. Go back to Moses in the Old Testament who spoke to Jesus, you know, pre-incarnate, spoke to God in the flesh, face-to-face the way that friends talk. And what happened? His face began to radiate. In other words, God got into him while he was just spending time with God. And so praying juice up prayers so that I can be powerful in ministry is less effective than just being with God and letting the power flow out of the overflow of relationship with him. There's a holy preoccupation of this love relationship with God. I was going to say some things about Ezekiel 40, but I don't have time. Let me just say quickly. In Ezekiel forty, you can write it down. Take a look at it later. I want to get somewhere else in in the Gospel of Matthew. In Ezekiel forty, the prophet Ezekiel he's shown a picture of the new temple, and it's it's a prophetic picture of what it's going to be like when everybody gets to live in the presence of God, and in. In Ezekiel chapter 40, he sees these rooms that the priests use, and there's one set of rooms. If you can picture walking down a hall, on the one side of the hall there's rooms where the sacrifices are made and where the, the, the animals are slaughtered and where the different parts are separated for all of the types of sacrifices that God called for in that old covenant. And there was, that's, that's, that's rooms for the priests for ministry to others. On the other side of the hall was a room with nothing but a candle in it. And God said, "This room is for the, let me just let me just read this. Okay, it says this chamber that faces north for, is for the priests who keep charge of the altar. These are for the sons of Zadok, the the ones from the sons of Levi, who may approach the Lord to serve Him. In other words, there's room to meet with God, and there's room to serve God, and we have to tender." take care of both of those realities, but if I only minister to others, if I only prepare sermons, and if I only know God to pour into somebody else, then I can actually start to pour out of a dry place, but if I can press into to intimacy with God and then step into ministry, the overflow of that ministry becomes God's presence in and through my life. It's a picture of ministering to the Lord first. You study that on your own time. But when a church becomes preoccupied with preparing sacrifices, preparing sermons, worship services, pastoral care, praying for others, serving and meeting others' needs, if we become preoccupied there, we can lose sight of the main thing. But what really matters is that those things are done by overflow. And if something has to wait, that waits so that we can wait on him. It's the devotion of the apostles in Acts chapter 6. There's all these people who are demanding food, and the, the, these women are getting more food than those women, and you need to solve it. And they said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of Word of God and prayer so that we could wait on tables. Why? Because if you've ever waited on a table, if you've ever gone to a restaurant, you go to breakfast in the morning, breakfast crowd comes through, and then guess what happens at noon? They come back, they want more. Guess what happens at five? They come back, they want more. And the apostles were like, we need to devote our heart toward the Lord and let that ministry be cared for. But first and foremost, our strength is going to come from being devoted on him and and keeping our focus completely on him. And so we need to have a room that has no tasks and no schedule, just one thing, a dimly lit room that no one sees where others are not the focus, but God is. Mark chapter three, you can write this down. I'm going quick here. Mark 3, verse 13 says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and then that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. What does that mean? Jesus was calling his disciples to himself and designating them apostles and he called them, first it says he called to them those he wanted. God calls you because he wants you. And it says they came to him and he appointed them and designated them apostles. And what was the first thing on his list? That they might be with him. And then that he might send them out to preach. Being with him precedes the task that they might be with him, and then he would send them out to preach and give them authority to drive out demons. First is be with me, then is task, and then is impartation. Get the order right, because if you don't, what will happen is you can have a church that's getting lots of ministry done, but it's dry. And there's so much more that can happen when we minister to the Lord. Am I preaching just to the leaders? No, I'm preaching to this whole house because it was a church that ministered to the Lord. It's love for Jesus. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is where I want to land this morning because I want to make this as practical as I possibly can for us as a local church. If we want to minister to the Lord, we're going to have to catch the priority of the Lord. The disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years they witnessed all of his public ministry but they also witnessed his personal devotion and his prayer times and there are different times that Jesus invited them into prayer and they came and they they watched him pray peter james and john actually saw jesus be transfigured on the mount of transfiguration where the radiance of his uh, of his deity came came through his humanity in that moment of prayer and they were just stunned and they, they witnessed that if they ever lost track of Jesus, if they ever didn't know where Jesus was, they knew he was going to be in the Mount of Olives. Why? Because that was his prayer spot. And they could find him there. And they watched his life. You've heard me say this, that they looked at Jesus and instead of saying, Lord, teach us to preach, teach us how to do miracles, teach us how to lead, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer request. That'd be a good prayer for you to get on your lips. Lord, teach me to pray. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I could get better at it. I could grow in this more. So, Lord, teach me. Help me. I want to learn your heart and the way to prayer. It's a profound desire. It's simple. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 5 and 7. Because I want us, 5, five to seven, And I want to give us just four simple keys in four minutes. Come on, this is a church that believes in miracles. Four simple keys for Jesus' teaching on prayer. Verse 5, Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, not if, when you pray. Everybody say when. Pray. When you pray. This, Jesus presumes that you're a praying person. This is why we ask you to pray here at church, because you've got to grow the muscle somewhere. When you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Number one, practical key. Eliminate ulterior motives when you pray. Eliminate ulterior motives. Praying to show off or look spiritual or sound good is an impure motive. And if I could encourage you in anything in your prayer life is don't pray to sound profound. Pray to commune with God. Pray what's on your heart. Pray to be sincere to the Lord. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Anybody who's grading your prayer misunderstands prayer. I'm talking to God. And you're like, oh, I give that a 6 out of 10. I didn't ask. I don't think God did either. So eliminate ulterior motives. You're not trying to get something out of it. by The way I pray makes me look spiritual to people. That's what Jesus... Now th- This is quite a report card. This, Jesus is the one who hears prayer. So when he says, when you pray, this is the stuff I like and the stuff I don't like, we should just apply ourselves to it. He's the one we're praying to. So like, I don't like it when people pray to show off. Oh, okay, so I should stop that. Yeah. That's what he said. In other words, he can see through it. Right. Yeah, when I pray, I really try to warm it up and sound Shakespearean. People seem to really get blessed. I've, you know, people told me they got goosebumps when I pray. And Jesus' is like, stop. Right. That's what the Pharisees do. They're just showing off. And Jesus' like, they got the reward in full, which is what? It's not an answered prayer. They got a pat on the back. Right. I'd rather answered prayer. Yeah, so eliminate ulterior motives. Secondly, verse 6. Verse 6. Verse 6, everyone. I did a great job editing my notes. Verse 6. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing on the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your father who's unseen. And then your father who sees you and sees what is done in secret will reward you. Second key to growing in prayers: we need to eliminate performance. Go to an inner room. Close the door. Pray to your unseen father who sees what is done in secret. Eliminate performance. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and Father. We are made to be a kingdom of priests. We're made to minister to God. So we have a priestly ministry to the Lord. So we don't want to be those who are praying to perform for others. Verse 7, And when you pray, not if, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Again, this is his report card on prayer. He's like, I don't like when you're just rambling. So three, third key, eliminate talking without listening when you pray. Eliminate talking without listening. Someone ever talked to you and you realized you didn't need to be there? (laughs) You're laughing because you're thinking of that person. Don't elbow anybody. You know, they're talking and you realize, I could walk away and I don't even think they would notice. Because they just, they're, they're on a roll. Can I just say prayer is a conversation? Back in our text in Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Isn't that something? When we pray, we're not just talking, we're listening. The Holy Spirit spoke. And what did he say? He gave them an idea. It, it was a turning point in the church. They said, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the ministry that I've called them to. How significant was that ministry? Uh, huge. And it didn't come from just babbling like pagans, as Jesus put it. But it came from listening. So, so I, we, we don't want to just talk without listening. We need to be those who recognize that prayer is a conversation finally out of that same verse again we don't want to keep babbling like pagans they think they're going to be heard because of their many words fourthly eliminate bringing a list without bringing your heart if we want to grow in relationship with God we have to eliminate bringing a list without bringing our heart Jesus says that some people end up babbling because they think that they're going to be heard because of their many words Imagine thinking that. Imagine thinking, well, the more I talk, the more God knows I'm going to mean it. You ever thought that? What if I worry out loud for God's sake? Then he'll know how, how, how big this is to me. If I come out of the place of prayer more stressed than I went into the place of prayer, I think I'm doing it wrong. And so Jesus says, don't keep on rambling along thinking that you're going to be heard because of your many words. It's, again, it's, these things are all tied together. It's the ulterior motive. It's the performance. It's the talking without listening. If I bring a list but I don't bring my heart, I might be praying but I'm not engaging at a heart level to relate to the one who invites me to know him. And this is amazing insight that comes from the one who hears prayer. Really, these verses are like the cheat codes to prayer. <laughs> Jesus is like, here, let me help you. Not only do I give you a model prayer, but also here's the attitude. When you pray, pray like this. Bring your heart to the Lord. When we minister to the Lord first, when we make our lives a ministry to the Lord first, when as a local church we recognize we're here to minister to the Lord first, it doesn't mean that we're inconsiderate of others' needs and concerns and thoughts and worries and fears. In fact, what I've learned is if I can help you divert your attention from your need and your worry and your thought and your fear and if I can help you to look away from that and look to him, that's the only help that you can get, David said I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, I need to be reminded you need to be reminded that our help isn't in the emotional support of just standing around and just talking about our problems together but our help is found in the name of the Lord and our help is found when we draw near to him he said he'll draw near to us and that God opposes the proud but he gives his grace to the humble and when we look to him and say God soften my heart and make me tender to you that I would move where you want me to move do what you call me to do say what you call me to say that I would be useful to you in the overflow of friendship with you What happens is ministry happens almost coincidentally to that level of intimacy with God. And the Antioch church was a church that ministered to the Lord. And in that place of friendship with God, he started to breathe out instructions. Close your eyes with me if you would this morning. Some of you here need instruction from the Lord feels like it's been a while since God's spoken since you would known what to do next it's like you're in between assignments waiting on what God would say next I feel like the Lord is just reminding you today that friendship with him is first friendship with him is the one thing oh, but God, I have a list and there's some things that I need to get dealt with. That's true. I have found more often than not, however, that when God deals with me, I do a better job of dealing with my list. And when I'm focused on my list... I can't be focused on Him, I'm just focused on what I want. What I desire, even what I need. Ministering to the Lord can be a challenge when you're in the fire. When your heart is breaking. When the business is going belly up. When the marriage is hanging by a thread. When the doctors have said, It's not looking good. Ministering to the Lord is a challenge. But hear me, if we will press in to his face and draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Think of the many times that God called people throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And when they were looking for, how am I going to do this? The answer from heaven was, I'll be with you. Be strong and courageous. I'll be with you. Lord, who will I say will send me? I am with you, Lord. Unless Your presence goes with us, don't send us up from here. I'm coming with you. the The ministry of being with Him and ministering to Him, everything that we need flows from there. He knows it because He loves us. He calls us into deeper fellowship with Himself. And so, this morning, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, I, I really I'm asking God to do a work in my heart to soften my heart to His leading and to my need for His presence constantly. I want to be like those believers in Antioch. I want to minister to Him first and not get consumed with my to-do list. I just I'm asking God to fix in me what He fixed in David that one thing. If that's you this morning, I just want you to stand where you are and I'm going to pray over you and pray for God who answers prayer, the God who looks at your heart. If you're fighting with standing because you're like, well, does that seem hypocritical based on how I've been? No, listen. All that God is asking for is a heart response. If your heart It's prompting you to say, Lord, I I, want to get closer to you. I want you to stand. We're going to pray. Lift your hands in the presence of the Lord. Would you do that? Father, all over this room today, you see the heart of your people. Lord, you see the desire in our heart, the recognition of our need for more of you for deeper friendship with you. So easy, Lord, for us to get pulled into a to-do list. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts? Soften my heart, Holy Spirit. Help me when I pray to not just perform or be distracted, Help me not to think that I'm going to see something accomplished because of my many words. Help me, Holy Spirit, to come and commune with you heart to heart. Father, today I pray over this church family. I pray over every person standing in this room saying, God, my desire is for more of you. I'm asking, Lord, that you would meet us at the place of our desire. I'm asking God from the one who feels furthest from you and the one who's walking so closely with you that Lord, you would take us into greater depths of your presence than we've ever known. Masking asking that God, you would make for this church to be a church that ministers to you first and foremost. That we would commune with you and converse with you. That we would hear the direction of the Holy Spirit speaking the next steps from a place of friendship with you so we make ourselves available Lord to you today we yield to you and we thank you for your word and we receive it with thanks in Jesus name amen amen I'm going to invite for our prayer team to come and just line up here across the front some of you might want to just come and pray either on your own or receive prayer love to welcome you to come and just spend a little extra time pressing into the Lord. If you need to go, we bless you. Have an amazing day, a great week. Let's be those who press into God this week, more than we have, and pray with the priority that Jesus taught us. In Jesus' name, be blessed. for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.